This is the Krillcast Live, a uh, book podcast, which is called What, Andrew? Printed and Pressed. And uh, we didn't actually have this in our uh, book, our Goodreads book club, which I'm still working on fixing up, but... but Early days. We did get a book in in one week, so there's that. Yeah. Um, Before we get any further, I do want to make sure that we are live on all platforms. So it looks like we are live on Rumble... Let's see if we're on. We're live on uh, Odyssey or not, real quick. I don't see us on Odyssey. Yet. Let's make sure. Mm-hmm. So we're surprising everybody though with. Oh yeah, an we extra are live book. on Odyssey. So. Yep, we're live on Odyssey. We're live on Rumble, and we're live on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe wherever you are. We appreciate you. All right, how does that sound? <laughs> great great so want to introduce right. the book chris yes this well i think you should since you're the one that All picked right. it yeah so the book we read for this week is anatomy of the state by murray and rothbard and i mean it's libertarian as libertarian can get as far as books go <laughs> it, he tries to describe what the state is and then really goes into the limitations and um, I guess how it maintains control. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a descriptor of the state. I would is, agree with that. Yeah. Um, why did we pick it, Chris? Because it's short and it's relevant to the discussion. We decided we wanted to give you guys an extra book. This book is only... What, how many pages is it, Chris? 60 anywhere, something? It depends, depending on which version you read. It's anywhere right. between 55 pages and 85 pages. Yeah, the version I read, which people can get for free from the Mises Institute. They, it's uh, literally what we're sharing website. right now. This this link, I'll drop the link in there. Yeah. Anybody wants to read it. it. Basically, you can get it for free. On there, it's like 62 pages, according to this uh, PDF on, on screen. So... It's a quick read. It's not dense either. It's pretty straightforward. Wouldn't you agree, Chris? Yeah. And on all platforms now, a link to the book is in the chat. So if anybody wants nice, to read nice. it, you can read it. So this book by Rothbard was published in 1974. I would say it's fair, fairly, I mean, almost prophetic when you look at a lot of the problems we do face. But a lot of authors are like we've discussed with how um, C.S. Lewis was describing certain trends that he noticed in society. It, it really does just when you come from a point of honesty, seem prophetic later to us when we read it in the middle of what they prescribed. Um, Rothbard, though, as an author, uh, so he's an economist. He was born in 1926. If you want to switch to his wiki, Chris. You got it. Yeah. So he was born in 1926, and he lived until 1995. So, you know, it's towards the later part of his life that he ended up writing this book. So it's not without a lot of experience. You know, he's at that time about almost, I mean, I guess it's not that late in his life. He's like 40-something. I mean, to be fair, a lot of, a lot of authors slash writers tend to start a lot younger than he did 
That's true. That's true. He he is pretty prolific too in writing a lot of things. Uh, so this one though is pretty well cited by a lot of people. Um, I would recommend it if you are kind of curious about his perspective. So do you want to start talking about what we liked and didn't like, Chris? Well, um, I liked that it was, there was no fluff. There was literally right. zero fluff in this book. If you're That's why it's only book, 62 pages. Yeah, where honestly. the author spends zero time trying to fluff up his points and just explain his mindset about mm-hmm. something. This book is pretty much like probably one of the best examples I've ever read of a book that's straight to the point mm-hmm. <clears throat> in that um, he didn't even hit triple digits with the pages. Yeah, I mean, um, there's so no I, flourish or anything. He's just this, that, and this. <laughs> and when you look at it, it's not even like he used small font. Like, this is just ideas on the page. There's five pieces to it, right? Yeah. What the state is not, what the state is, how the state preserves itself, how the state transcends its I mean, it's, mo- it's basically a thesis. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. And he has lots of references throughout, too, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You don't really see that in a lot of writing nowadays where people include their references, unless it's like a non nonfiction some uh, research will, book. Some people just save them to the end. Right. Although I like how this chapter is called What the State is Not, and he opens up with The State Is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, just like the opposite. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, that, that, that did crack me up. It was a nice little... Uh, joke right at the beginning i i have to say i agree with what you like too but the part that i like specifically is the later part of the book where he's a little bit more describing the current state of government as he sees it and the problems that he sees coming down the pipe um i'm not a fan of the first part like the first half of the book when he's saying what the state is not what the state is i don't like it because personal opinion i feel like he's reaching a little bit to try to justify his personal view on government more than uh, it's it's two parts right the book's two parts there's the where he sees what's wrong with government and then he's trying to say why he doesn't like government in the beginning yeah i mean to be fair um I think he describes what a lot of people feel about government in general. I mean, look, he opens up with the organization for achieving social ends, but they all regard it as a necessary means for achieving the goals, but it's ranged against the private sector, often winning in the competition of resources, mostly because they take it by force. Yeah, but okay, I guess there's, I guess, if, if we're looking at it from this point, I understand what he means by the state, right? But I feel like the lethargically large and and uh, agenda pursuing organization that is the government. That's what he's describing. Yes, but at the same time, it comes off as if he's talking about government as a whole because he goes back all the way to bandits taking over a village and ruling people. Well, to be fair, any government generally starts small because nobody wants a big government at the start. Okay, but, but all right, this is where I get to my point here, though, with him doing that. That's where the prob- I, my, I have a huge problem with his description because he acts as if government is not natural without violence. And 
I disagree fullheartedly, and this is where people will debate on what constitutes a state, because how did a government even form to begin with? It's you have families, right? If you go all the way back, hunter gatherer, you have families, families grow larger, you expand the families, they're no longer the tight knit, like super tight knit, but they don't hate each other, right? Because they share a culture, they share values, they share a common ancestor, right? So they, they're willing to have someone from the family, an older member, be an arbitrator of differences because they don't want to just kill each other. Do I would the- take it a step further. And if you just look at some of the oldest material out there, say the Bible, for example, you can see the natural progression from a, a chosen leader amongst a group. But that's a tribe. That's all a family, too. You got to look back at that. I, I'm saying it literally proves your point. Yeah. I'm saying you start out with the, the Abrahamic tribe, splits into his kids, mm-hmm. splits into their kids, and it just continues on from there, eventually getting to the judges and then the kings. And right. it just kind of shows the natural, in my opinion, the natural evolution. But they have a sh- and they have a shared culture, yeah, shared beliefs. It's like it, government comes from a successful family. That's really the root of government, in my opinion. Yeah. And the thing is, to have a government that's like strict you need a very homogenous family structure for it to actually be strict and because then people agree with each other inherently already. It's different. The problem is government has expanded well beyond that, and now you have non-homogenous, very different beliefs, different backgrounds, and you're trying to have that same level of control over everybody, which makes people extremely unhappy with each other Well, because it's all conflict. To, to be fair on this one, though, naturally when somebody has something they want more of it for example let's just say we we just look at expansion expansionist policy yeah generally when when somebody has a small territory they rule over they're going to expand out as far as they can before they brush up with an enemy or it's all about scarcity too well land is always the most limiting factor when it comes to these things but i guess He's Good acting, land is the most limiting factor. <laughs> right. He's he's acting, though, as if the state is not natural. I don't think he ever says yeah, he, that it's not natural. He talks about the natural pr- activity of humans is to use nature, natural resources, and produce things. He says then it's like parasitic to go steal. It's not natural is how he describes it. I think it's not natural to have a government which does not contribute. See, I'm, okay, this is the thing. If we go back all the way to, we're hunter-gatherers, right? What are we producing? This is this Ooh. is where, he's, he's getting a little, he's trying to do something that I don't think is in his wheelhouse here for description. And he almost needed an evolutionary biologist's, like, perspective to look at how humans start because hunter gatherers, right? What are we producing? See, I would, I would even argue backwards, Andrew. I think that the only reason humans are hunter gatherers is out of necessity. I think, I think at any point, if you have uh, any kind of society, like for example, if you go back to like the ah. ancient apocalypse, and you got to go Tepe, 
clearly there was humans existing that were hunter-gatherers at the same time that civilizations were existing. Okay, but but what I'm saying is... So I'd say hunter-gatherers are hunter gatherers, out of necessity. Well, yes, but hunter-gatherers are humans at their most, uh, most basic animalistic state without developing culture, without developing civilization. It is a developmental intelligence increasing progression process that brings you to farming to no, so, producing so I, I, things i think that the natural version of a government is the family and the reason i say that is because every member in the natural state the natural the natural state the natural government is a contributor to the family whether that's by passing down the knowledge or or you know I don't know, washing the dishes while the rest go out and clean, you know, get the animals or whatever it is. I mean, yeah, families are communistic. It, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. this, the natural, the natural government is communal. Yeah, I mean, the the I, the the lethargically large and agenda based government is, in my opinion, a progression, whether it be natural or not, whatever you want to believe on that. But it is a progression from that when multiple families stand together, get the tribe going, then you get. Larger organization, bigger, 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 and then you get a bigger government over top of it. The problem is right. you get all these self-insert uh, people that don't follow the advice of Uncle Ben on Spider-Man where they tell you <laughs> great power comes great responsibility. The responsibility is to limit yourself to what is necessary. See, yeah, I agree with you. I'm, I'm saying, though, my problem with Rothbard is he does not distinguish between forms of governance exist like he does not distinguish the fact that there's a difference between that big goliath of the state that is in a certain way unnatural because it is overly controlling of a wide range of people with who don't agree on anything per se and does not distinguish that from local government governance in the sense that like oh this tribe or this clan because you can't get rid of government naturally the family is going to exist naturally a family is going to grow naturally a family is going to form a tribe or a clan and there's always going to be a hierarchy and someone who arbitrates the judgment of who harmed the other right you need that there's always going to be a judicial aspect of culture Right, he completely ignores culture. That's another problem I have in the with the book. There are certain cultures that breed certain governments without any interaction with other groups or cultures. But, and but what so I'm saying there is, there's a natural order to the way some cultures are formed. But what I'm saying is, culture is a form of governance. Shared yes. culture is a form of governance. Like, okay, for example, in the West, we have the rules about you know not murdering people cannibalism is wrong multiple rules right we take them for granted but they are part of a culture right there are cultures out there that believe in cannibalism there's cultures out there that believe in child sacrifice there's cultures out there throughout history all over the world who've believed vastly different things that are they consider them morally right despite us thinking they're completely morally reprehensible right? right so he completely ignores the the aspect that culture also is a form of government, a government, in my opinion. Poorly enforced, but it's still a form of government. I don't, I don't like the way he tries to say that it's not natural. He also 
disregards the fact that people who are good at war can't, there's no moral good to that, right? Like when bandits attack, you it's not because you were taken over by bandits that you now have soldiers. You had people who had to defend against bandits as well. Yeah. Just good people who had to stand up and fight. And because you have capitalism, because you have the ability to specialize, it pays the farmer to be like, hey, you, buddy down the street, you're stronger than me. You're taller than me. You'd make a better fighter than me. Go practice fighting every day. We'll feed you so you can be in the top condition possible so that if someone attacks us, you're here to defend us. Like, it just makes sense to, to do that. It, violence is inherently part of human uh, the human condition. And, I agree with that. And to act like it's not, because he acts like it's not. That, that's my only problem with it. It's a little utopian. That's that's my only complaint with it, like his first part. It comes off utopian. You mean it's a lot utopian? Not a little bit. It's a lot. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes off utopian. And, and I think you have to subscribe that the ideal is the best, but it's hard to subscribe that the ideal is possible. Well, this this also goes back to where we were saying that it's civilization is advancing, right? That's why you get farming. That's why you get production using natural resources. You could argue that the bandits are less are just less civilized humans who are still in hunter gatherer mode. They just view you now another well, like tribe. As, I like how he prey. accuses the the barbarians slash attackers slash Vikings, whatever you want to call them, as being less sophisticated when or, or less intelligent even. I think that's something he kind of alludes to, is they're less intelligent or less um, formed. They and are less I almost, formed. I almost disagree, though, because what's the easiest way to get what you want? Take it. Well, the, okay, they're less civilized. Yes. That, that is, that is true, because civilized is, is an IQ thing. In my opinion, IQ tests are are no are C- civilized civilization. society is a moral thing. Well, no, but it's also tied to IQ. I would I could easily make the case that how civilized your your environment is is related to IQ results as well. Um, but there's it is I will agree it is tied to morality. 100%. It absolutely is. How yeah. can it not be? Well, there's a if multi, you, if there's you, multiple. If you have, aspects. if you lack morality, then, I mean, you're, gonna, then, then, then you're gonna go and shopping uh, cart theory, Chris. Go grab what you want and go home. No, the shopping cart theory, where you oh, can judge a place's civilization don't. on if they return the shopping carts or not. That just proves they're they're a moral or not moral. Yeah, but that's also a level of civilization. Yeah, fair enough. Right, like. But his thing, okay, yes, they're less civilized. They're not any less intelligent. They're still the same, you know, species as society at all points of civilization has been intelligent. If you look at the intelligence of a person, it's been really close to the same for over over ten thousand, if not hundred thousand. I mean, there's been very little change in the human. And just human. If anything, we're probably biology. getting dumber with the advent of technology. We we well, they have found that the human brain is shrinking 
in the last century since like the night like the 19th century started so we're getting closer and closer to that fish brain everybody wants us to <laughs> but okay so chris okay you would agree though right like it's just another group that's less civilized that decided that they're still going to do the hunter gatherer thing hunter gatherers live by violence yeah they do that, that they live by violence it's not unnatural to live by violence and hunt prey anything that's considered prey right so them turning that same violence they used to bring down a woolly mammoth on another human tribe that is in one place farming and collecting resources is not unnatural to me it's the most natural thing it's the cain and abel aspect almost it's the original mm. sin it's the original sin of violence against another person yeah i mean i would say it takes quite a bit though for a person like if you have the option to attack a deer or a person, you're going to take the deer every time. Like, that's food. Oh, but you have to remember, though, that, you know, food could become scarce pretty easy. The hunter-gatherer group wasn't storing food the same way that the farmers were. And then that farmer group is less uh, practiced in their combat skills of working to take down mammoths and everything. So the hunter-gatherer tribe when the technology difference isn't there, is already more seasoned in violence. It yeah. made perfect sense for them to go try to take on the other tribe. Is it risky? Yeah. But it's not dumb. No, it's not unintelligent. What would be unintelligent would be allowing yourself to starve to death. Exactly. So, And, and they don't have the same food security. So I guess that's my problem with the first part of his book is really just that he tries to do the idealistic vision of humans as if we've always been civilized. And so I, I guess let me, let me just push back on that. So it's, I, he literally tries to make the case that the state uses force and violence to obtain its revenue. That's only in the case of non-compliance, right? I mean, idealistically, when it comes to government, there's always the threat, though. There's, there's always the, the there's threat. The threat but most of the time you voluntarily give your 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 money to the group for the good of the group even if you don't necessarily believe that's the case anymore so i'll make okay <laughs> this is this is where it's like I it's feel... like you you go you go from like good intentions to you're paying the mafia not to kill you okay i'll i'll, I'll say this to your point he's ignore, he's not uh, doing the nuances of the scenarios because in a very homogenous society where everyone is basically from that same tribe, that same clan. There's the, you know, cultural identity is very strong. And you don't and have to necessarily worry about it as much. You share you share the same values as your neighbor. You're there's a high trust in society, right? And yeah. you you don't feel the need to lock your door because you know everyone around you has the same exact value system as you. Right? Like that level of society there's no threat of violence because everyone and the government is aligned with the same value structure. They're all sharing the same. Are you suggesting ideas. when when the government subscribes to a specific way of belief system that everybody else has also subscribed to, that potentially you have a more coherent group and a more well functioning group? Okay, I'll say this: everyone has always talked very highly of the Scandinavian models. For, of government. Oh, of government. I was like, wait, like <laughs> runway models? Like, that too. They have talked highly of that too. 
but no, the government structure and their social programs and everything like that, people talk very highly of it. Well, there's also a very strong culture there of not abusing the system. It okay. has come under more stress as those countries are no longer as homogenous culturally. Oh, because I see what you're saying. It's, it, their programs are becoming more strained. That's just a simple fact. So it, you don't have the same level of force and violence when it is based on what the culture wants. But that he's coming from an American perspective on this, and I respect that because ours is much less aligned with the vast majority of the citizenry. Yeah. Fair point. Uh, but once you get past what the state is, what the state yeah, it's, isn't. It's very good. This book hits. It hits real hard. It kind of feels like um, a, a different, not the same, obviously, as the C.S. Lewis uh, toast at the end of his book. But It's a little bit because he talks about science. It's in the same vein. It, it talks about, like, if you subscribe to the pseudoscience, the, the, the book, like, like, for example, like, the, like if it was a... Um, monthly book club and you had to just agree to everything they say <laughs> they have it's all about obfuscating with science and models and things that make you seem smart right not well they, they want you to believe that the in-group is the smart end of everything you know what i mean they want yeah, you to I mean, believe that there is an ultimate they want you to believe that there is an ultimate uh group that has the intelligence to make all decisions and you can't question them i mean in fact they'll accuse you of things if you question them right they try to make you uncomfortable they try to make you unpopular because people want to inherently be accepted yeah they want so, they want an in-group and an out-group and they want yeah. everybody in the out-group to be ostracized for being in the out-group yeah and they use things like science and they make the work seem like it's hard, like it's very in depth and thoroughly thought out just to come up with the same nonsense that no one would have accepted if they just said it at face value. Right. That's, that's how he describes it. And it, it hits because it's true. It really is true. That's what a lot of things are models yeah. that they have no basis putting, cause you know that the error, levels in those models are ridiculous if you have any experience with science or engineering you know that their models are bullshit they they oversimplify to the point where it's impossible mm -hmm. that what they're trying to prove is true it's not even just that it's there's they have no business making any claim that they can make the model actually he makes there's, this case better than we're making it now i know it's, he does it's, it's the cast he's basically inventing a version of the caste system yeah and, and the caste system, basically, you're either in the in-group or you're not, and you can't get out. Of, you can't get in what you're not in. So yeah. if you're not part of the group, the in-crew, you're in the out-crew, regardless of where you And they ostracize you. you. And, and it's kind of crazy. Uh, and then he, he has the um, part where he's talking about the, the, gov like the issue where the ruling party always wants to expand government, and the opposition is just there to from a weaker position and can't actually stop its expansion. But I don't know if that's necessarily true. A lot of the weaker 
parties want the same expansion. They just want the power for themselves. It's a, it's, a, it's, a pen, it's a pendulum. They they like whoever's in the in crew at the time. They're will, all in the same in crew though. They are. They just they yeah. just take turns basically. Yeah. Who gets to make the decisions when? But I mean, when somebody says it's the uniparty, I mean it's the it's the power of party or the party of power. Like everybody in the government has the power, and so everyone it, it, forgets that there's progressives. The, t- the keyword progressives in both parties everyone forgets that you know teddy roosevelt was a progressive the only thing roosevelt the was progressive Wilson. the only thing about the government that is progressive is the expansion of power yeah but i'm saying that's that's what the progressive party is right like when you progressively worse <laughs> no but okay progressive is a term specifically for a set of policies it's it not is. actually no, I, I understand what that. they do it's not what they actually achieve except for a progressively bigger government but i mean that's i mean the bushes the bushes are progressives they were progressives no one can lie and say they weren't well i mean they can i'm sure people do <laughs> no, I mean, there's no factual. They can fine. They can lie and say they weren't, but they the facts speak. Yeah, don't for don't say that people can't lie. People lie all the time. They can't deny it, really. Not truthfully deny it. Sure, they can. No, they've been doing it since they were they were in power. And I mean, this book really has because of the bureaucracy and just when you look at how many people are now currently employed by the government. It's the the one it's of the, I think it's the single biggest employer in the world. Yeah. I think. Who's gonna vote to you know eliminate their job? <laughs> no one. I'm just kidding. Yeah. So. No, they got they got they gotta get um, somebody in who will make uh, <clears throat> who will make uh, uh, Ron Paul head of the Federal Reserve so he can expand <laughs> it. <laughs> oh really though really, um, the when he talks about the Supreme Court though. What did you think of that? Because I gotta he, search again. Because oh yeah, I do know what you're talking about. Hold on, it was about how about, they essentially have the supreme power. Basically, the government created a way for itself to have the power the supreme to rule on the if New they're Deal, allowed. Yeah. yeah, I mean the New Deal is terrible. Well, because people trust the Supreme Court to decide whether something is actually okay or not, and I think what they proved was that the Supreme Court when they imparted legitimacy to the new deal which is not actually in the constitution under any circumstance you could even find no there's no way it could have been yeah um it basically gained the power to legitimize things outside the constitution yeah and the key i would say to this ultimate interpreting power because yeah. everybody trusts them to make the right decision now that's not when it changed though i want to point that out that's not when the Supreme Court was lost. I think it was more of an example than it was. No, that, that's when it became clear that the Supreme Court was no longer doing what its function was and now became a tool of the federal government to basically justify its expansion. But when Rothbard talks about the um, – he references some other writer, uh, I guess uh, John Calhoun. Yeah. And – He's referencing his thing about how, you know, the states don't have any power, right? Well, Mm -hmm. everyone seems to forget in this, especially Rothbard in this, that this is a symptom of switching the senators from 
being um, chosen by state legislatures to being popular vote. Yeah. The the senators no longer had accountability <clears throat> to their state governments, right? So they've now, and now they've become not even supermajority uh, members elected by their state. They're now just simple majority members. Because think about it, when they had to go through their state legislature and they had to go through the governor, they were basically getting an electoral college level vote from their state. Kind of just how there's an electoral vote for you know the presidency and everything. You had to make sure that you basically got enough counties in your state on board with that pick to get them through. So that was about communities, not just simple majority vote. There's much less representation now when you when you look at it from that simple majority aspect, because all you need is a couple cities and they can basically be a city state. Our states are basically city states the way that operates, right? I think what you're simplifying what you're trying to say is that if each territory of a state with their representative in Mm -hmm. the state government had a single vote to decide who the senators are going to the federal government, they would be more diverse in culture than, say, if they are chosen by the population of a city like just say like detroit versus farm towns in well Michigan. yeah the, okay for example there's let's just say however many there's like what 80 something counties in michigan i have no idea it's like 82 <laughs> i think if you took michigan but you have that popular vote i mean detroit flint couple cities right they there's only a couple counties that even vote blue in that you're basically state. you're basically stating that the electoral college at the state level would be more valuable to the smaller parts of the state yeah basically yeah you would you if you had it that way where it was by legislatures more cities more counties more communities whatever you want to label it would have had to have chosen that candidate than if it was just popular vote it's the difference between only having to campaign in a big city and winning that way versus yeah. campaigning across the state. Yep. And when you removed that influence from the governor and the state legislature, senators were no longer basically ambassadors for the state. They were just popular vote people. They got elected. They had no accountability to the state government. They have no accountability to what legislation impacts might occur to what the state government's goals are either right so i think what you're pointing out is what he's pointing out in the book yeah the the more powerful the government gets the more removed from the average citizen it gets yeah and that removed them completely from their state that made them that made them operators of washington not not representatives that's what it changed them to be right so it he's he's lamenting the lack of states impact input in being able to declare something unconstitutional and the problem is the justices at his in his time in rothbard's time were no longer being selected with state input effectively no longer no governor could call up their state rep uh senator and be like hey we don't want that person you should listen to us because you'll never get put back in the station again if you pick them. 
right? right? Like there's no threat from the state government. They don't, they're no longer answering to them. I think, I think the 18th amendment might be one of the worst amendments. Personal I'd opinion. To, I'd have to look up what the 18th amendment actually That's is. That's making it, the, I'm pretty sure it's the 18th, is making it state a uh, popular vote for senators. Oh, okay. Is that a federal one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because it was not. That's not how the Constitution set up senator voting. Yeah, I, I I don't have any strong feelings on it until I read what the history of it was. To be honest, um, so until I do that, I I, have, I can't really. Woodrow Wilson, blame Woodrow Wilson. I blame him for a lot of things, but I no, would, no. But I'm I saying need, I would need to look comes, that up. It comes from Woodrow Wilson, which means it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. There's a lot wrong with Woodrow Wilson's presidency. <laughs> that's a lot. A, that's an opinion? No, that's historical <laughs> fact. I, so, <laughs> Woodrow Wilson's the worst president in the United States history. I don't know. There's another one vying no, for that no, position. No, no. One, <laughs> that's the, he's the first progressive. to No, well, technically the second progressive, but like the te- worst kind of progressive. Teddy Roosevelt's like the first progressive. And then Teddy Roosevelt screwed Taft and got us Wilson. So. Now listen, here's the deal though. We're talking about a book here. We're not talking about... I know, about... but I'm... Okay, it's... What I'm, what I'm complaining about is applicable to this book because Woodrow Wilson 100% is the root cause of almost every complaint Rothbard has. <laughs> every complaint. You already hear first, guys. Andrew says Woodrow Wilson is the problem. He is. So the the supreme of the Supreme Court here, um, they literally have the monopoly of ultimate interpreting power, and yeah. they basically become they can either be for or against the federal government and the creep of powers. Yeah. And if they're for it, then they essentially just rubber stamp everything that comes through them and then basically give the federal government more and more and more power as time goes on. That's not um, good. They've, they've basically become the method that the federal government uses to subdue states because as each state is claiming states' rights, almost every time the federal government has expanded because it is a power not granted to the federal government in the first place, so it was the state's rights. So the Supreme Court has been used to be like, okay, shut up, states, sit down. That's that's what its role has become. Yeah, yeah, and and part of the reason why states can be overcome by the federal government is because, and one of the biggest reasons why they 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 end up this way is because of the choice to become a constitutional republic as opposed to the original plan, which changed. I think what in the first decade of the country existing. Yes. Because it used to be that the states had a lot more authority and there was very little power in the federal government. And then they chose to become a constitutional republic, which, in my opinion, is still probably the greatest formation of a government ever. I mean, it was the right decision, personal opinion. It is the right decision. The problem is, as the country grew, it you can't argue that we've become more represented. We've clearly become less represented just by how many constituents each house rep has, how many constituents each senator has. It, it's become vastly different, you know? It, we've almost outgrown it without, we've outgrown it in the sense that we haven't maintained that same level 
of representation. It's now become something way less representative and way more controlling because of that. Now, People I, don't I want do, their voices heard. I do agree with you, though, that the right choice was a constitutional republic. Yeah. I was just making the point that that was what lost the states their ultimate sovereignty. No, they never lost their sovereignty, in my opinion. Techni technically, they they No, it's agreed. not any different than the Articles of Confederation in that regard. Mm. It's still the United States. I think that they'd have a... I think you would have wound up with a much different country if you stuck with the states having okay, you're talking, power. There's sovereignty, autonomy. I guess it's very nuanced here. They, they still... <laughs> The limitations on the federal government were greater for like requesting soldiers, for requesting money, all of those things. That's really where it came down to for the need of a constitutional republic was the fact that we needed to better defend ourselves. Yeah, we, <laughs> needed, we needed democracy, Andrew, clearly. <laughs> Yeah, it, it came down to the need for national I, defense. That, that was a joke, by the way, I know, because I know. everybody claims we're some kind of de democracy when, in fact, it, we are not. Well, I mean, we are a form of democracy. It's a republic that has democracy. But we're no, but everybody people. says democracy as like the ultimate. This oh, is what we yeah. are. But we are though. Not, we no, are though. Not. Yes, we are. Chris, I'm not saying that's what we are on paper. I'm saying that's what we are in practice. Now we are. Yes, think about it. They stripped away all the how aspects is almost, of the republic. How is almost everything getting elected? In, how is almost everything getting passed in the Senate? Simple majority. That is a democracy, even though it's that. That's a representative. Democracy, I don't care. The, it's if we are truly a republic, it would still require way more votes to get something passed through the Senate than just fifty-one votes. It should. It should. <laughs> yes. It should. It, it technically requires coordination of multiple branches of government. So technically, yeah. simple majority is all that's required once you're there. And when you factor in how the cities control so much of the voting power now, it's eh. not many communities get represented in government. That's all I'll say. Um, as far as this book goes, though, when you get down into the, it's, it's like the last chapter. It's, it hits, it just hits hard on what the government is doing. It's very pointed to even today. Cause I feel like, I feel like he must've seemed crazy when he first came out with this book. I agree. And when you read it now, <laughs> what, 50 years later, it was prophetic. I mean, exactly. He's he's basically describing today perfectly. You should definitely check your uh, text messages there, Andrew. <laughs> I don't have any text messages. You'll get it in a minute. Anyways, um, I think it's funny how many of these people... It's even funnier when they go into writing something like this with a specific mindset. Like, I'm sure he had a group in mind when he started writing this and i would imagine that his opinion on the groups he had in mind may have changed by the time it came to fruition even though because yeah. he, he's more general so he doesn't actually call anybody out but i feel like is the premise of this book was had to have been based on a specific group that he was targeting and that group probably would have changed by now 
he we, it's the 70s so that's like the hippie dippy era that's trying to get rid of drugs that's a lot of things in the 70s the dare program i'm just saying like he had a lot of things that it's just like there's no business of government doing and i understand that that's both parties are terrible when it comes to certain things so so i i would say like one of the things that he points out in this in this book that if you can call it that um one of the things he really points out that really sticks home with is, in theory, ensuring the constitutional system, ensuing constitutional system, would assure the federal government check any state invasion of individual rights, while the states would check excessive federal power. But that is not how this works. I mean, it, it is a little bit more like right now because of some of the polarizing aspects of the country, but in general, that's not really how this works. It's like the the federal government has expanded well past, I think, the design of it. There's a reason for that. I already and, and stated. The, and, and the book highlights that as well. I know, but I'm saying, no, it doesn't actually highlight the reason, though. Because he ignores the 18th Amendment. Oh. Which okay. the 18th Amendment was passed the right way. Yeah. I'm not going to say it wasn't, you know, passed per our rules, but that was maybe the greatest usurpation of the original intent of the federal government in ways that no one seemed to grasp at the time on how terrible it would be. Just like, you know, capping the amount of congressmen is not necessarily a good thing either because you now have House members, right, who have just as many constituents as senators at the start of this country. (laughs) That's how the representation has changed. Is there anything further in the book itself that we want to highlight or discuss right now? You know, he talks about you know creative ways to once you recognize, like you have to think of ways that maybe new governments could be established to maybe prevent these things from happening. Worse, like what could you change if you were to start over? I think that's an important thing for people to always think about, but I don't, I think the lessons to learn, right? I think you, he doesn't do it in this because it's basically a thesis on the anatomy of the state, how he's, he's viewing it from like current day and viewing it from a failed lens. But if you were to just objectively look through the government's history you could see where it failed and you could say that the original structure and intent was not necessarily bad. Mm -hmm. People forgot their purpose. It's like they found the fence in the, you know, they just found this fence. They They didn't build it. They found it and they decided to tear it down without understanding its purpose and what the ramifications would be. That's, that's personally how I view the 18th Amendment. It's like a dog chasing cars, and when it catches it, it has no idea what to do with it. Yeah, I mean, that is, it's it's one of those things where exploring new ways of governance is all great and all, but it's really, you should look at, the Constitutional Republic is probably the greatest form of government that has been to date created. You have to, you'll have to convince me that there's something better. It was set up perfectly with you know, more localized control 
maybe maybe the failing was not making it like um those russian nesting dolls <laughs> where like you have the federal government now you need to do something similar like that to the state governments so that counties have some form of you know recourse against their state government on a much better level but there's a lot of autonomy given to states to not have any of those limits you know the federal government the, in the best case scenario the federal government would make the least amount of regulation and they would let the state do the more strict and then down to the county where you could basically state no nope, we're we're in our county we are not enforcing this law and then at the state level right. we are not enforcing this federal law and then at the federal level well nobody's enforcing it guess we should repeal it <laughs> yeah no i i mean i agree with that i'm saying right now our on our state level we okay during covid we vast we very 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 much so got a course in how tyrannical a governor can be without any recourse yeah governors all it's, over it has become almost impossible to to oust anybody who is corrupt from the government yeah but i'm it saying is like darn near impossible like for example um <clears throat> They, like to recall any any person in government right it requires a significant amount of signatures more than they yeah. even got in votes potentially sometimes so right. the fact of the matter is um once they're in government you're kind of stuck with them for their term mm -hmm. then it becomes the do people have a short or long memory and we know that people have short memories that's part of the problem that's what they want yeah. <laughs> they want to send the shortest memories possible but, if I, his whole ending though is about like what do we need to do differently and it's really just i think it's about learning the lessons of how this failed because i don't think the form and structure of the government is bad i just think that we didn't maintain the senate as the check and balance that it's supposed to be the senate's supposed to be very obstructionist because it's supposed they're supposed to answer to their state government on a mm. much deeper level right and right now you removed them what what influence does a governor and a state legislature have in washington there's no you know oh you better follow us or you're out of a job yeah the state government can't pressure anybody there's no there's no leverage none unless you have an extremely popular governor who says i will campaign against you but right. outside of that you have no hope none as long as they think that they can win through the cities and name recognition no i mean you're totally right i i don't know what what recourse you even have none man none that that's what i'm you're saying because you're directly you're there's no go between it's direct mm -hmm. to to um position from vote and they game it every time so that the people who make the 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 corruption is so strong that the people who are not up for re-election make the terrible votes knowing that you'll forget about it by the time they're up for re-election so they shield each other by doing that whole vote the, the way they do votes to pass things that the general constituency doesn't want that it's it's it, dirty it's man the the premise he makes the the total theme of the book
Yeah. Is that government is ever expanding in their favor as opposed to representing the citizens who voted them into power. Yeah. And that's I, just that's just a consistent toxicity in government. I, I forgot about this section that you're on right now, but I really loved when he was talking about the Italian section in the 15th century Italy. Oh, yeah, yeah. That that whole thing about civilized warfare, the mercenaries, and... And then everybody just, knew it was just the royals fighting each other. There was yeah. no nationalism. They were still hanging out with each other. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. I, I did appreciate that. It was a good discussion. And, and I, honestly, I've read some historical fiction that represents it that way, too. Now, if you were to read The Sovereign Individual... <laughs> you want me to read that. I do want you to read that. If you were to read The Sovereign Individual, it actually has a very large section that kind of talks about this exact same concept um, and how it wasn't until you got the welfare state and nationalism and like the whole, you know, quote unquote democracy where it's like they're able to say the government is you, the citizen type mm -hmm. of thing that that's tied to wars being much more grander. That's tied to wars being much more non-surrender. And that's also tied to, you know, mm -hmm. the change in allowing money to just be printed to fund endless war. They're able to... Does he discuss fiat currency in this one? I don't recall. No, he doesn't. Okay. He doesn't. But that's... Well, that's then, again, this was written early on before that really had his biggest so impact. So the, the, he wrote this only three years after the gold standard was um, left. So it didn't have enough chance to take effect yet. You, I mean, he would have known that it's a terrible idea, but at the time it was still... But it hadn't, been, it hadn't been fulfilled to its fullest extent yet. Yeah, it was still exploratory. Nothing super terrible had happened yet. But, yeah. I mean, yeah. You have to look at it, though. He knows about the uh, problems with money. I think maybe he did talk about money in here a little bit, debasement. I can't, I can't remember. But um, when a private citizen is robbed, a worthy man is deprived of the roots, roots of his fruits of his industry and thrift. When the government is robbed, the worst that happens is that certain rogues. Oh yeah, that's talking about to play with. how they enforce punishment. Yeah, but the notion that they have earned that money is never entertained. If you if you look at history with um, how they debased their currency in World War II, like London, Germany, France, everyone debased their currency dramatically in the World Wars. That they had to really just abandon. They had to abandon the um, peg to the gold standard with all their currencies. So the only reason things like that can happen is because the government has total control and to the level that they do. I mean, it's not a good thing. But yeah, this this book, I recommend it to anybody. I While I have strong disagreements with the way he frames everything in the very beginning, the ending, he finishes this book super strong. Oh yeah, no, I, I and the thing is, is, is when somebody has a good idea, even if they're in a different belief system than I am, I'm more than willing to respect and entertain that opinion. See, I think that his book is very good. I feel like he wanted to write part. I Okay, there's two books to this. I, I think this is two different things. There's the first half. There's the second half. I don't think they actually flow together, in my opinion. I feel like the first part is him trying to justify 
his opinion of government and the state in general. And then the second half is him talking about the problems of the current government. I have zero disagreement with his take on the current problems and general problems with the government, but I had a ton of problems with how he, what he says is natural versus not natural. Because if you look at just human nature, as we discussed earlier in the podcast, you have to look at how humans organize. If you just look at chimps even, they have their groups. They fight each other all the time. Like if if chimpanzees find a loner from another chimpanzee group, they murder and brutalize the crap out of that thing. Like terribly. So the whole the violence is part of the human condition and to claim that there's no such thing as like hierarchy and structures, I just think is silly. That, that... Oh, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I, I, yeah. And then the thing is, even in nature, leaders form from a pack of animals. So, for example, like wolves. There's yeah. an alpha wolf. Just there like is. There's a, just like there's a king that forms well, in most societies. Everything needs an arbitrator. When there's disputes, you need an arbitrator. You just hope the arbitrator is actually good. Yeah, that, like that's the <laughs> that's thing. That's the hope. There's always an arbitrator. But even, even... The craziest anarchists out there will always point to the fact that you have, you know, some form of judges out there, if it's, you know, civil court or whatever. But guess what? That's a form of governance in this in the form of culture and law still. It still exists. How are you enforcing it though? Like that's my question mark every time. Is there what method of enforcement? Is it cultural? Because if it's cultural, I mean, that's still a form of governance. In my opinion, it's... Still- <laughs> second Amendment. <laughs> yeah, but like... Oh, well, I just blacked out there for a second. <laughs> but it, it gets very nuanced and I think silly when people try to go the anarchy way because it's all about... It still comes down to violence. And a lot of anarchists like to reference this. I've noticed that on Twitter. It annoys the shit out of me. Yeah, so... Go ahead, sorry. I was just... Because, okay, you can say anything you want about not having a state, but on some level, you have people organizing to enforce justice. You will always have it because there's always going to be some form of an arbitrator. You will never be isolated in an effing bubble without any consequences for being a dick to other people. (laughs) Like, it's it's just a fact of life. So, how, however that forms, if someone's just being a total a-hole and violent, you're either going to have someone who can be more violent than them come in and put them down as a, the rabid dog they are, or nothing happens to them because no one can out-violence them. It, but you can't say that there's lack of violence without the state, lack of violent enforcement without the state. Like, that's, no. Culture will always take care of the problem there's there's a lot there it's it's very nuanced in my opinion it's complicated but if you're trying to claim that you know anarchy is without the violence i mean it's without the giant apparatus of organized violence but it's 
you'll just have the same thing on a local level now. No different. I think one of the best things he does in this book is he ends it on probably one of the strongest paragraphs in the entire book. And this is where I want to end the discussion on the book, if that's okay with you. No, that's fine. Yeah. So I'm going to read here. In this century, the human race faces once again the virulent reign of the state, of the state now armed with the fruits of man's creative powers confiscated and perverted to its own aims. The last few centuries were times when men tried to place constitutional and other limits on the state, only to find that such limits, with all other attempts, have failed. Of all the numerous forms that governments have taken over the centuries, of all the concepts and institutions that have been tried, none has succeeded in keeping the state in check. The problem of the state is evidently as far from solution as ever. Perhaps new paths of inquiry must be explored if the successful final solution of the state question, the state question is ever to be attained. Basically stating we didn't do it right and there needs to, there must be a way to do it right. I don't think that hasn't been found yet. I think that comes down to cycles because you're you're never going to have the same populace, right? They die. Well, yeah, all good kings eventually die. Right, so every government, every rule is made based off the generation that currently exists, the principles yeah. that they hold dear, everything, right? So the government is based on the model of that of that group. Every king who ever, you know, came to power was either super powerfully powerful and well loved or well feared their children weren't that same person so you get you know problems that stem from that but it's no different than how let's say social security for example that was made under the assumption we're always going to have a growing population a growing workforce that was a policy of the time. That wasn't a timeless policy, right? It's a reason. There's that's the reason it's coming into problems now. Same thing with government, mo- like most things in government. Actually, we had principled people who believed in the separation of power. Now you ha- you don't have that same generation at all. Those same values don't exist. You have so many people who go to government and they just form a they just join a clique. They do what they're told. They don't care about anything but personal power now, right? They don't care about their branches' power. They care about their personal monetary wealth and influence that they get by being in the position. So it, our culture broke the government. The government didn't break. Our culture broke. So I think that's the lesson. This right here is the lesson to learn, to apply it to you're just your life honestly look at things from what their purpose is what their intent is and try to actually live to that don't let like the signs of the times degrade a fence that was built with a legitimate purpose i would agree with that mostly no i'm just kidding i would agree with that (laughs) I mean, what lesson do you think needs to be learned from this book? Because I, I see it as a human not, failing, not I a think, state I think failing. it's always healthy to maintain a distrust of any group that reigns above you. I think that's just, I, I think you should always be skeptical. I think that's honest to God. My, my, what I take from this is that 
anything being done for the good the goodwill of people <laughs> to that gives more power to a group in charge is probably should be looked at at least skeptically at the very least i mean he, for sure anyone because i don't think that expanding of expanding power to a group that's already in power it should be the necessary uh like it's never it's, it's almost never necessary to increase the amount of power somebody has over mm -hmm. you if they and can't if they try to justify you. it uh if it requires justification to do so then it probably isn't necessary well what i was going to say chris is if they can't convince you of it giving them force to enforce something on you that they couldn't convince you of is not going to make that idea any better right like the entire purpose of them having force for things is that they could not convince you that it was a good idea without force which means it's not a good policy if they can't convince people to do it it's not a good policy right people feel screwed or hard done by that policy in some capacity so they don't want it that's that's what that means i i think it's good to be skeptical of people in power because people in power don't view themselves as equivalent to you i know we claim our leaders are public servants but i don't see that in practice you mean I, you don't think our public servants are serving the government? <laughs> I don't see people who behave as if they serve the voter and just this general citizenry. I see people who view themselves as rulers, not servants. That's definitely the problem. I mean, you see it all the time where you'll see, you know, what I'll call it is uh, politician misspeak, where they'll talk yeah. to you as if they're in charge of you, when in reality, the only reason they're in government is because they represent you. And right. when you give them the power to be in charge of you, as opposed to reminding them that they're only there because you voted for them and they represent you, mm -hmm. uh, you should definitely do that all the time. Just anytime a state representative talks at you, like they're condescending and they're above you, <clears throat> just remind them that they're only there because the people voted for them to represent there. <laughs> They and, love they, that, and they'll get removed in the event that they displease enough people. They really love it when that happens. Um, Honestly, anytime a, a bully is removed from a position of power, I'm totally okay with that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. How would so, you rate this? I was going to say, we're on to rating now. Yeah. I, I would give this a solid four. You give it a four. A solid four. Okay. Okay. It doesn't, I, it doesn't waste my time. That's fair. That's fair. I lean. Okay. Because I clearly have problems with it. In yeah, the first I mean, half, I think it's preachy. There's some issues with it, but I'm just saying, like, it didn't waste my time. I didn't that's feel fair. like. You're, you're, you're talking me up in my rating because I was going to say a solid three. And I'm willing to go up to a 3.4, uh, 3.5. 3.5. Okay. Yeah, so and the solid... only reason I say that is because, as I've mentioned multiple times now, <laughs> the first half has major issues where he's trying to say something ideologically that's that he introduces weaknesses into his own book for no reason. Like, just 
I view it as he makes false statements and is reaching for no reason just to make his ideological view of the state his opinion evident in this book like that's that's where he starts it with i don't like that i prefer if he was a little bit more objective and it, if he was going to make that reach was a little bit more evidence-based to at least have something that proves what he's saying because he goes against human nature a little bit in that personal opinion the second half is fantastic so it's like can i i don't know how much to forgive the first half that so I'm, i'll go with a 3.5 right because it's better than average but it's you know has a great weakness in it all right well since we've both given our ratings and it averages out to three and three quarters or 3.75 out of five uh i think it's time we move on to the discussion slash comments unless there's anything else we need to go through before no i think we should look at what there is for audience discussion first question is what is going on and i can handle i'll, I'll take that one okay this is go the uh book podcast we've started we have a book yep. club to go with it we think reading is important and powerful and it can enable a lot of people to increase their intelligence and so we're trying to promote it as best we can since we've spent three years promoting video games there's not enough reading and short content has become way too dominant in this in this current day um we would like to try to bring back some you know, concentration and critical thinking. Yep. All right. And then on the um, Odyssey chat, we have got quite a few questions in here. Um, one of the questions is, why did they end the gold standard? And I have the official reason, but I'll probably have Andrew expand on that because I'm sure he has other reasons. Why did they end the gold standard? That's, <laughs> can I, mean, I can come I, on. Here's the official reason. The officially touted reason is the U.S. abandoned the gold standard in 1971 to curb inflation, BS, and to prevent foreign nations from overburdening the system by redeeming their dollars for gold. Okay, in fairness, that is actually very... That is actually a problem. No, in fairness, that is very accurate. The problem is, it doesn't curb inflation, okay? But it it would technically prevent people from redeeming foreign interest from redeeming dollars for gold. They're, they're, They're kind of lying in this statement, but okay. The problem is the U.S. government printed way too many dollars. Yeah, they've gone beyond the bounds of what we thought was possible. And the problem was everyone knew we went beyond how much. We abused Bretton Woods, okay? We printed way too many dollars, then we had gold to back it up. And if we allowed other nations to redeem those dollars into gold from gold, then we wouldn't have had enough gold to actually back any of it. And then we would have been without any gold. That, that's really what would have happened. We would have been a nation without any gold, just paper currency. And everyone else would have gotten their wealth in other countries. And then the United States would have had jack all for wealth. And no one would have been incentivized to keep the U.S. dollar as a world reserve currency. They wouldn't have been invested in it anymore. And some other currency would have replaced us as the main gold-backed currency that it would have been the end of the dollar as we know it today. Um, that's that's really what it was. Didn't mean to do that. Does that make sense, Chris? Like it they, does. They, they would have just cleaned us because we printed that many dollars. Yeah, they would have cleaned us out. That's yeah. a fact. 
And um, okay, so we have a couple more chats. Um, th this one's kind of an oddball one, but we'll 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 roll through it. <laughs> this person this person says, "Did you know that Rothbard defended the Confederacy, was against civil rights, women's suffrage, and apparently some form of Zionism?" Well, as a libertarian, that's it not exactly no. As a, him being a libertarian, that's not shocking. If you were to look at the Confederacy objectively obviously we all know slavery is wrong slavery is evil we all know this there yes. is there is one glaring issue with the civil war and i will say this it was the removal of states being able to secede from the union it turned our constitution from an agreed upon union of states into a suicide pact there is something assured destruction yeah, there is something to be said about that being a massive deviation away from the original intent of the U.S. Constitution. I, but at the same time, the Civil War itself is also in the spirit of what our original Constitution was to avoid, So, which was constant warring between the colonies and Europe being able to, uh, you know, use its influence with one side versus the other to eventually regain control. So if the South was a whole separate country, we already saw, if you look back in history, that England was already positioning itself to be a massive investor with the cotton and just a major influence down there that we probably would have had a lot of conflict between the North and South throughout the, you know, following history. So, it's not shocking that he has a huge issue with the way that went. Um, but at the same time, you can make the case the other way just as easily, I think. Um, the As far as the civil rights and everything, there's questions about that being the federal government needing to actually make whole new laws about it when the U.S. Constitution does not technically permit, you know, discrimination based on anything. It doesn't, you know, all men are created equal men, not being, you know, just men. That is like humankind. Uh, to be fair, men, the term men was always originally used in determination of the whole race, the human race. Yes. It's, it's only the fact that it has, um, a, a, uh, what the male gender as part of the name of it. Yeah. That is the reason why people have changed from using the term men to describe all of humanity. But, but what I'm saying is <clears throat> if you look at the civil rights issue, right, that's not a failing of our U S constitution. It's not, it's a failing of us to actually live to the principles of our, of our constitution. The fact that we needed those additional laws at all, is a failing of us living to the principles of the constitution because those are technically all of Jim Crow, all of that is technically unconstitutional in my opinion, without ever doing anything that is civil rights related. Honestly, the, the when you have to start specifically naming what is protected under a law, in my opinion, you failed. The, 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 yeah, the, the culture has failed. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's the thing though. Like the Constitution does not discriminate technically. Even the Three Fifths Compromise was done as a way to end slavery in the country. The entire purpose of it was to force slavery to be ended eventually. 
Right. It was just a way. That was definitely one of the way. One of the ways it was used. And the problem is, two states. That's it. Two states out of the thirteen colonies didn't want to eliminate slavery, and the agreement was that everything had to be unanimously agreed upon. So the only reason slavery was even allowed in the United States to begin with was because two the furthest south states, okay, Georgia and South Carolina refused to eliminate slavery. Everyone else was on board with eliminating it at the at that time when we started the country. So you have to go back and blame that. Um, that's the whole, and then because we weren't eliminating it, you had to make sure that states like Virginia didn't have too much power with people who were not really citizens because they weren't free. You can't claim someone as a slave and also a free citizen. It's like so contradictory. It is. It absolutely is. Yeah. So, I mean, when people like to look at the three-fifths compromises being like, oh, we condone slavery, when we're really saying that you can't say someone's a slave and also a free person. You can't be both. You can't be both. Yeah. So it's like... That'd be like, that'd be like saying indentured servants back when the U.S. was founded were, were free, yeah. when in reality they were under contract and couldn't... Exactly. Could, were not free until the contract was over. Yeah. So, I mean, I understand Rothbard's position on basically every one of those points. There's only one of them that I think you could really disagree with. Yeah. Because there's a legitimate contra- a counterpoint to the take on the uh, Confederacy because it's the same principle of why we needed all 13 colonies to join. That's that's really what it comes down to. Do we have any others, Chris? Um, I don't think there's anything else in here that I would jump... No more questions per se, mm. but there was the con- the conversation about how the gold standard makes people poor. But I think it's more along the lines of governments and inflation make people poor. Um, so I would disagree with that in its premise. I mean, if you <clears throat> look at it, the gold standard is also when we mm. had products that were built to last. I don't see how it's. Um, I don't see how you can say it makes people poor because our country had its industrial revolution while under a gold standard. Uh, We had the vast majority of our greatest uh, advances as a nation under gold standards. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly where I was going to go. Electricity, the robber barons, I mean. Protecting, I would say protecting, the only reason you got off the gold standard that makes sense would be protecting your gold, um, your gold, your Fort Knox, your gold from being pilfered by foreign nations who somehow wound up with your currency. The yes, that because, that's because literally buying, the directly only buying gold from a foreign nation directly buying gold using your currency would devalue the dollar directly. But Chris, here's the thing: that is only problem. There's a caveat there, actually. Well, if you remove that money from from uh, circulation when you remove the gold, then yes, you're technically there, not. There's there's a caveat here. The only reason other nations would redeem the gold from your currency is if they have reason to believe the currency is not backed. If if they are able if they are able to get the currency at a cheaper rate than they think the gold is worth, for example, like, or you've just printed too much and they're trying to collapse you because they know that there's not enough gold 
if they go there right now because there's more dollars in circulation that have made goods cheaper, all these things, they can get the gold and it's a massive windfall to them if they collapse your currency. Well, yeah, of course. So it's like, it's like shorting stock. Yeah, but as long as you are being honest and truthful with how much gold you have and how many dollars are in circulation, there's literally no concern with whoever has the dollars. There's no concern on if a foreign nation comes in and wants to redeem the currency because it functions exactly how you want it. It's no different than if a citizen came in, redeemed the currency because they wanted to use gold to buy a product from, let's say, France, because they're the ones who wanted to call it bluff hard. There's no reason we should stop a citizen from using gold to buy a product from France, now is there? Well, no, because Same function. Speaking, their, their currency and the gold should be equivalent. Like if I trade yes. currency for gold, then, I mean, that's what it's for. <laughs> exactly. And there's eras of free banking without the national, you know, without the national bank being a huge issue. Scotland had an era of free banking. The United States had an era of free banking. It was very successful. Were there bank runs? Were there bank collapses? Yes, that's a natural thing that happens when a bank is lying about their reserves, when they've been lying with the loans they've put out. That that is a natural thing. And it's better to let that bank be a lesson to people to be careful and actually vet where they put the money than to just say, no, no redemptions. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel like this podcast went really well. Is there anything else, Andrew, that you wanted to say? I can't think of any. I think this is a book, though, that people should read. I, I, I only pages. gave it a three you can point. Get done. You can get this book done in an hour. Less than an hour if you're a fast reader. Yeah. I, I think that there's no excuse you, you, not to. You read can it, finish really. this book while you're sitting on the can. <laughs> <laughs> you know the way some people get distracted on their phone doing that same activity. Better than doom scrolling. That's probably not far off, man. <laughs> it's like as someone's at work, they just take a really long one, and they're just like, "I don't know what I ate, sir, but it's, you were reading Rothbard the entire time. We won't tell your boss. Don't worry." Somebody okay. There is one more question here. What is the next book? And we should definitely mm-hmm. cover that. I agree with that. That question. Oh yes. Our, <clears throat> here, I'll, I'll put it up on the on the thing here. What is our next book? The next book is next week, uh, May third. Unrestricted warfare: China's master plan to destroy America. Definitely yeah, never responded. So, well, we're doing it. So it is what it is. That's fair. <laughs> Which. Just to tease this book too, I this is a must read if you actually want to understand the risk that is the CCP. That that's all I'll say. It it explains a lot of the dynamics that we currently have between us and China, be it trade and international relations in general. So Yeah, I put it in the chat too. I also don't like that cover nearly as the other cover is better. <laughs> the... What the one on the on Goodreads there? Yeah, I don't like Goodreads. Isn't that the cover. one you said you had? No, that's not the one I have. I have the oh, one. Oh, that that's looks... not the one I have either. Mine's got um, it's a, like a nineteen twenties woman on the. Cover I don't have that reason. one either. I have the much more minimalistic one that just shows soldiers marching, and it's like better <laughs> in my opinion as a book that makes it a lot less. Um, 
it makes it seem more timeless and uh, academic. <laughs> My title compared to. I mean, to, to, to be fair, like I, I don't really see a good reason to put that on the cover of any book unless it's specifically about the historical event that occurred. That does actually play a part into the book, though. So the, I, I'm, the, I'm, I haven't finished it yet, so I can't comment on that. But uh, the concept, think, I'm saying, the concept of that attack is basically the entire uh, perspective of the CCP. Anyway. Long story short, I feel like this was a good podcast, and um, if you want to see more of it, first off, I'm going to ask that anybody watching, because nobody's watching on YouTube because we got demonetized for this, this video. Um, I'm not joking. <laughs> really? This video got demonetized like within five minutes of starting. because uh, of Rothbard's go, name. <laughs> definitely go and hit that Rumble button, the, yes, the thumbs yes. up on Rumble. Do the thumbs up on YouTube if you're on there. Like it, like this video. Uh, share it with your friends, and uh, if you're on Odyssey, shout out to you guys for how yeah. awesome this chat, chat has been today. Lit. Chat was lit. Make sure you hit that fire button, whatever that means. Don't do the splats, guys. We don't want to get de-ranked on Odyssey as well as YouTube. So, <laughs> as always, uh, we appreciate you watching. Make sure you subscribe, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. And join, and join our book club on Goodreads. Stay tuned, and you know we like to have more people come and discuss this book with us in the chat every time. So, and honestly, um, if if there's a better book club website than Goodreads, because I'm finding yeah. a lot of, other than the fact that it has like every book known to mankind in their database to put into a book club, um, it it is a bit funky to use. So if there's a better website, let me know. We'll check it you out. You know, maybe we make a Discord in the future. Who knows. We, we have a Discord. I know. No, I'm saying for the book club. <laughs> Just add a chat for the Discord. I know. I'm saying we'll make Discord. them for the... Maybe we'll do it on Discord. Who knows? Yeah. And uh, in the future, we may do a Twitter space following the podcast. Yeah. It will allow the audience to actually talk as well. So if you have Twitter, um, <clears throat> follow us at Krillcast at print and pressed. Printed and pressed? Which, yeah, printed and pressed. I'll just pull up the Twitter account so that you guys can follow us, but... Um, that'll pretty much be the end of this podcast. So um, unless there's any further questions, we appreciate your time and effort for being here. And um, yeah, I'm just going to show you what our podcast name is here. One second. Oops. Almost, we to, almost hit something weird. We there need we to add the uh, title and everything, the profile picture and stuff to the... Yeah, printed press still doesn't have one, but it's at Krillcast. It's at C-H-R-I-L-L. C-A-S-T, same as what every other place is spelled. We have that pretty much <clears throat> covered everywhere, but right here, printed and pressed. It's P-R-I-N-T-E-D-N-P-R-E-S-S-E-D. So, as always, this has been Chris and... Andrew, and this has been Printed and Pressed. And we'll see you on the next...